Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Here's a prayer you want to pray for me, and you want to pray for every Christ follower. Pray that Mark would grow in purity and integrity. In other words, that I would be, bottom line, real. Simply real. Now, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he doesn't say, blessed are the sinless. There are no sinless people. But he means, blessed are those that are real and sincere. We all hate hypocrisy. We don't like seeing it in those around us, and we avoid looking at instances of it in our own lives. The problem when we don't deal with hypocrisy in our own lives is that we can't hide it from others. As a result, it affects the quality of our Christian witness to the unsaved world. Pastor Mark is teaching us through the words of the Apostle Paul of our need to pray for one another as well as for ourselves that God would make our hearts pure. This doesn't mean that we won't mess up. It means that our desire is to always do the things God wants us to be doing. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Philippians chapter 1 with his continuing study called Pray This Prayer for Me. You know, if you have a sport, if you have a hobby, if you have something that you like to do, that's wonderful. It's great. You need it. You need a kickback. You need to have some kind of chance to do something that you enjoy. We have to spend time with our families. We love to do that. And with friends. All of us work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Most of the pastors here work 50 to 60 hours a week. That's kind of what we do. And we have all this other time. But we only have so much time. Now, if you came over to my house... You might find me on my day off just doing whatever. Take my wife out for lunch and do something. I might get out for nine holes of golf, which I do a couple times a year, but I'm going to try to do more of that. But what if you came over six days in a row and you said, well, where's Pastor Mark? He's in the golf course. Well, how often does he play golf? Every day for five hours. Now, you might be jealous, but you know that is not good use of time, is it? And yet we can sit in front of our television for four hours and I can go, hey, that's pretty cool. Linda and I are flying back from Asia. The DVR is kind of a funky thing, isn't it? You can record more programs till Jesus comes than you could ever watch. <laughs> so we just went when we got home, we killed a lot of the stuff we'd record because we never get a chance to watch them. How are you doing with your time? Are you using it for the kingdom of God? Best use of my time. Now that doesn't mean when you come over to my house, then I'm going to be reading the Bible 24-7. Why do you do that? I'm a pastor using my best use of my time. <laughs> That's weird. That's stupid. How much of your time are you using wisely? You remember in the old days, 
I remember when, many, many years ago, you younger people, this is a joke to you. You'd get a grocery thing and it would say, green beans, two cents less at this store. You got in your car? You drove 12 miles to get a dozen of them. How many remember those days? You did that. You had the shopping list all over. Well, why'd you do that? Because gas was what? 20 cents a gallon. Now, if you see green beans, two cents less a can, and it's Cocoa Beach, how many are going to drive there? You're stupid if you're going to drive there. I'm sorry. Foolish. You're going to spend $4 to save what? $2. Yeah, but I'm going to buy 20 cans. You're still in the negative. Plus, the most valuable thing we have is it's time. So it should be spent with God and people. With God and people. How many years do we have left to impact our world? I want to know the best use of my time. Coming back from Asia, and then I prayed that. In my devotional, was that how to use the best use of the time I have left. I don't even know what that is. You don't either. How to use it best for things that really are going to impact the world for Christ. Of course my family's there. Of course my kids are there. But how do I use those spiritual gifts to impact the world? Now, Paul mentions opportunities and time in a very different Well, spin on it. Take a look at it. It's on the overhead. It's found in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Notice what Paul says. Live wisely among those who are unbelievers. And make the most of every opportunity or every time. So Paul says, your time, if you're going to use it best, It's not just going to be about you. It's not just going to be about church people. Those are good. It's not just going to be about your family. That's good. But it's going to involve unbelievers. You see, lost people matter to God. And Paul is saying, you need to learn to use your time to impact unbelievers as well. This week, I was at a pastor's conference in California, a senior pastor's conference for Calvary Chapel. It was over. It was a four-day thing. I was just there for three days and came back early. Didn't have time to be there the four days. There was over a 1,000 Calvary Chapel pastors there. It was amazing. Well, flying back from Ontario on uh, Thursday back into Atlanta and then down to Melbourne here, uh, I was in the the section where you just get on and go moo and sit over next to people. You know, it's... where all of us usually sit. And I happen to have an exit row, so hallelujah for Jesus. There's room for my feet. Well, I was sitting next to two men. We began talking. Doing the formalities and whatever, blah, 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 all those kind of things. And I could tell as I was talking to him, here I was in this seat. This man right next to me here, young guy, maybe mid-30s, dad, good moral guy, neat guy, Gentile. And this guy in the, right against the window, Older, maybe 50. They knew each other. One was the boss of this company, whatever. Jewish. But as I looked at these guys and began talking, here's what I discovered. Both of them are unbelievers, clueless about anything spiritual. Zero. Clueless. They would never go to a church and walk into a church and hear the Bible taught. So where and when would they hear about the good news? 
salvation, sin, hope of heaven. So as I sat there, after talking with them, I know I had a decision to make. I could pull out my laptop, and I could use those four hours between Ontario and Atlanta. I could use it to study for this weekend, the teaching. I'd already spent a ton of hours, but I could use those four hours, very quiet, right on that plane, with my laptop, and for four hours, studying to teach you. I'm teaching thousands of people. Or was there a better use of those four hours? That's the question I had. Well, my mind immediately went back to a teaching we did a few months ago on the gaps in our life. Remember God's potential for us, what what he wants me to do, the best decisions he wants. And down below, our actual performance. God says, this is the best use of your time. And I go, yeah, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Now, if I study for the sermon for those four hours, is that a good thing? Tell me. Absolutely, it's a good thing. But was there a better thing? Well, see, the gap is, we learned in this, the gap is always, I'm not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not filled with the Spirit. Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, why are we to be filled with the Spirit? So we could be bold witnesses. So God began to speak to my heart. So I stopped and I prayed. God, I want you to open a door for me. God, why did you arrange for me to sit next to these two unbelievers? What was your potential? I already know what your potential is. You love these two men. You didn't set me there by accident. And then I asked myself a very important question. If Jesus was on that flight, and he was sitting next to those two unbelievers, what would Jesus do? You think he his laptop out? That's really unfair, because he could do it off the top of his mind. No, I believe what Jesus would do would try to engage them in what? Conversation. See if the door could open up. As I said, we began to discuss all kinds of things. And as I thought about the Jewish guy, I was sitting there. I leaned over around this big guy next to me. And I said to him, ever been to Israel? Pretty good question after a Jewish guy. Yeah. <laughs> he went, well, in fact, I have. I, when I was young, I was at a kibbutz. And then he said, later, I went to it. And he said, you ever been to Masada? Oh, yeah. I said, I go all the time. In fact, I've been seven times. getting ready to go for the eighth time. And he says, eight times? You're Gentile. Eight times? What are you doing in Israel? I says, well, I says, we just go to all kind of places, 20, 30 places, and I open the Bible and I teach because, you know, it's God's country. The Bible came from Israel. And I said, you know, I go often to the Old Testament. (laughs) That meant nothing to him. You have to understand, by far, probably more than 90% of Jewish people are godless. They have no understanding of even the Old Testament. So that offered an opening for me. And then, as I was sitting there, we just talked about different things. And I noticed they took their MP3 players and put them in their ears. Okay. So I got my iPhone, put them in my ear. As I'm sitting there, God says to me, put the idea in my head. I flipped on down to my iPhone, down to the, to the podcast, and brought up a guy that I listen to quite often. He's a Jewish 
pastor who has an amazing church, 15,000 people up in the Washington, D.C. area. He really goes for it. And so I got the sermon. I picked Easter sermon. And I said, and handed him my iPhone. I said, listen to this teaching. He's a Jewish man like you, but he's a believer in Jesus. So I said, okay, put it down, put it in his ear. I'm sitting over there, praise God. (laughs) In a moment or so, I hear this. Hands it back to me. Maybe a minute and a half he had it. See, he heard the word Jesus. That was it. So as I'm sitting there, I'm a failure, right? Am I? Would you feel like one? Yes. Did it take any boldness for me to hand him that teaching? Yes. Yeah, but you're a pastor. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's out of my comfort zone. Much easier to put my earplugs right in than just do nothing, right? Well, as we went along in the flight, two hours went by. And all of a sudden, we started talking about different things. The plane had been late, well, you know, going into Atlanta, Lord help you. Are you going to be able to get to your places on time? And there, maybe they'd missed the flight. It was the only flight going to their city. And we talked about all those things. Then he said to me this. He said, you know, there's a church in my town. It's a huge Christian church. I'm going, where is this coming from? And he says, I drive by all the time and it's absolute cars are everywhere. I wonder what are those people going in there to do? And he says, I forgot the name of the church. And then he begins going on and he says, one day recently I was at a restaurant with my wife and the pastor of this large Christian church came in with his wife And we were introduced to them. And he looked like an okay guy. He was really sharp and whatever. And the pastor turns to me and he says, you need to stop by. Forget the traffic. Just turn right. Come on in one Sunday and check us out. And he said, before the wife left, she asked me to do the very same thing. But he said, I forgot the name of the church and the guy. And I gave him the name of the church and the pastor. I know him. I know the church. He went. <laughs> now, of all the pastors in the United States and churches, is that a God thing or what? See, I, I was connected with him. And he said, you know, I've meant to go there, but I just forgot. And then I said this statement to him and the man next to me. Nothing happens in our life by accident. And I was put on this flight next to you to remind you, when you go back to your hometown, check it out. You will discover the meaning of life. And then I said, you know what? We're all going to die one day. And we're going to be faced with different eternities. And at the end of that conversation, I gave him my card and whatever and told me to get online and watch some stuff. And he just simply said to me, it was a joy. Traveling with you. Now let me ask you a question. The Bible says someone plants a seed, other people water, but God gives the increase. Did I plant the seed that day? No, I did not. Who planted the seed? The pastor from his hometown. What did I do? I just watered it. He said, well, Pastor Mark, I'm waiting for the story like he kneeled down right on the plane and got saved. (laughs) Sometimes that happens. I've had that happen to me. But normally it's what? 
It's a process. See, if you said to turn to Exodus, he would think of the movie. He has no clue. Paul says if we're going to use our time wisely, it has to be some of our time with unbelievers. Let me ask you a question. Have you used your time wisely in the last week? You see, it's not about the airplane. It's not about a pastor. It's about the soccer field. It's about the golf course. It's about the supermarket. It's about the desk next to you at work. It's about the student in that biology class that you see all the time. You see, God has you there for the very same reason. His heart is for the lost. Both of these men, clueless. When would they ever step into a church? Not going to happen. God says, I'll put you out where they're at. You see, it's the heart of God. And I just want to say this to you this morning quickly. The reason our church has grown over these last 18 years is because you have been faithful to invite unbelievers to the campuses. Here, Vieira, Sebastian, look for unbelievers. Invite them to the church service. And I'll make this promise to you. You know it always is true doesn't matter who's teaching here, who's preaching. Every weekend service, we give people a chance to come to Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel. People need to be saved. There's other churches obviously do it, and then there's other churches never do it. You can be guaranteed from the bottom of my heart, when you bring people here, whatever pastor is teaching here, they're going to hear it somewhere in the sermon the gospel. And that brings to mind two principles we taught. I want you to see him quickly, then we're going to move on. I have to use my time to be on mission. Well, what is our mission? Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. On that four-hour trip, God had me there to seek and save that which is lost. So if I'm going to use my time wisely, I have to be on mission. Well, I have to be on message. I just can't talk about a church. I have to talk about Jesus Christ. And what that means. You'll hear more of that next week with the other gentlemen. But what is our message? Here it is. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the very power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes to the Jew first. And then to the Gentile. See, God loves the whole world. Jew and Gentile covers it. It covers all of them. So that has to be where you and I are. We have to be using our time wisely. Now, it doesn't always work that way. I'm going out to California. I was in the same role. Two other guys came on. When I got on the plane and sat next to them for that four and a half hour flight, they already had the earbuds in, never removed them, never said one word to me, weren't interested. What are you going to do about that? Pull them out? No, the door wasn't open. It's okay. It's okay. Relax. God gives the increase. We're just responsible for our time. Now, go back, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. You're right nearby. Do not mistake that the fields are ripe to harvest. These guys, even though they didn't want to hear, they wanted to hear. The fields are ripe. Paul says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure, pure different word. Sounds strange to us. In Paul's day, the people understood what that word means. It means sincere. It's 
That's where we get our word from. Sincera. Here's what happened. In Paul's days, a dishonest pottery maker, sometimes making his pottery, let's say of marble, he cut too deep. And to hide that mistake, he would put wax in it. Well, you would never guess it because it looks perfect. Until you took it home. And of course, those days you don't have air conditioning, you have sunshine. And what does sunshine do to wax? And so a reputable sculptor, a dealer, would mark their pottery with the words on it, Sin Sarah, without wax. In other words, to guarantee you that it was real. That's where we get our word for sincere. What's Paul saying? Jesus says the same thing. Matthew 5, 8, notice what it said. Blessed are the pure in heart. Here's what I want you to write. It's not complicated, but it's very powerful. Here's a prayer you want to pray for me, and you want to pray for every Christ follower. Pray that Mark would grow in purity and integrity. In other words, that I would be, bottom line, real. Simply real. Now, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he doesn't say, blessed are the sinless. There are no sinless people. But he means, blessed are those that are real and sincere. God looks at our heart. It's where our decisions are made. And so Paul simply prays this. He wanted the Christ followers to be free of hypocrisy. To be people of integrity. To live lives public and private. Transparent. No cutting corners. No dishonesty. No character flaws. Not perfect. But no plain games. Someone has said the word integrity means doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. Let me ask ourselves a question today. Can I be trusted when no one is looking? You can finish the statement. What you see is what you get. I'm sorry to say to you, that many times in our counseling sessions, we discover someone who's in the church looks like this. But in the home, there's somebody very different. I'm not talking sinless. I'm talking fake. Hypocrite. That's a disaster. And I want to say this kindly. If you're a mom and dad, and you're one thing here, and something very different at home, here's what's going to happen. Be very careful. You will destroy your kids' chances of coming to the Lord. Why? They're going to think all of us are that way. Don't you dare do it. Today we learn from Pastor Mark the importance of having our hearts pure. The scriptures are very clear regarding God's view of dishonesty as well as honesty. It's critical for us to let God mold us using good and bad experiences into the likeness of His Son. It's also important for us to learn to pray for those in our Christian assemblies that they would learn to obey God better too. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. 
We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, we'll bring us to the end of Pastor Mark's teaching, Pray This Prayer for Me. He will teach us further about what the Bible has to say about personal purity and integrity. We'll be told what the scriptures have to say about King David. We will also learn what some interesting stories have to do with our personal character. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time. As Pastor Mark continues teaching through this series, Contagious Outrageous Joy. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurting world a new hope he is giving